Hey there, everyone. This is Pastor Ryan from Mountain View. I just wanted to take a quick second and thank you so much for tuning in. Thank you so much for listening to the podcast. We we hope that this message just fills your soul. It fills your heart. Uh, we pray that this message impacts your life in some way, shape, or form, and the gospel just changes you. So thank you so much for tuning in for the Mountain View podcast. We hope you enjoy. On that message this morning, and we're going to talk about the one thing that you can count on. Now, life is very uncertain. It's unpredictable. It it offers us so many surprises. When we think we have everything figured out, uh, bam, something happens to uh, turn our world upside down. Seventeen years ago, we retired from full-time missions, and uh, we, our, our three kids were living in the uh, Everett area, and so they said, well, we, we had, our idea was to retire where we had lived before in Yakima, but uh, the three kids were all living over here, and so they said, you have, to, you have to settle here. So that's what we did. Our two sons were about a mile away or within a radius of, of a mile, and our daughter and uh, son-in-law were uh, associate pastors at uh, Snohomish, so they were about five miles away from us. So there we were, our three kids all around us. And then about two years after we, uh, we arrived and got all settled, our, our uh, oldest son took four of our grandkids and moved clear down to Dallas, Texas. And uh, now, a few weeks ago, our daughter and son-in-law announced that they were going clear across the state, about the farthest away you could get, and still be in this state. Well, uh, I know that's just a simple example uh, of the uncertainties that life throws at us. Uh, we, uh, we face, we think we have everything all mapped out. We make our plans. We have our ideas, and then something happens to change it all. Now, the Bible teaches us that we cannot predict what tomorrow will bring to us. We can't even predict what the rest of this day will have in store for us. Uh, Proverbs 27, verse 1 says, Do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring. And then James gives echo to those words in James chapter 4, verses 13 and 14. Now listen, you who say, today or tomorrow we will go to this or that city, spend a year there, carry on business, and make money, why you do not even know what will happen tomorrow. So it, it, our best, our best guess is just 
surmising. Our best guess is really nothing because we do not know what tomorrow might bring. Now, this kind of anxiety uh, for many can cause anxiety. This kind of, of uncertainty, rather, uh, can cause a lot of uh, anxiety in our lives. Uh, in the Old Testament, there's a story of a king named Uzziah. He's also known as Azariah in Chronicles, but it's the same person. This man had reigned in Judah for 52 years. Can you imagine 52 years with the same uh, ruler? And uh, during his time, there was a, it was a time of peace. There had been a lot of threats from enemies all around, but he was able to hold them at bay. And so it was a time of, of peace. He was the only king that most of the people had known in their lifetime. But then he died. And uh, I'm sure that the people were concerned, now what's going to happen? Our king is gone. The throne is empty. What, uh, what is going to happen next? And I suppose that even the, uh, the prophet Isaiah was concerned about this. He, he had grown up during the time of King Uzziah, and so he was probably wondering, is there a word from God uh, for us uh, to tell us what is going to happen in the future? Well, there was a word from the Lord in Isaiah chapter 6, verse 1. It simply says this, but it says a lot. It says this, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. Now, I underlined in my Bible those words, I saw the Lord. Year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord, high and exalted, seated on a throne. Now I underline those words too. I saw the Lord, he was seated on a throne, and the train of his robe filled the temple, and then it goes on describing that scene that Uzziah saw, or Isaiah saw. Uh, the important thing is to note this. Uzziah had died, but God was alive. The throne in Judah was empty, but God's throne was occupied. Uzziah was dead, but God was alive and exalted and worthy of endless praise. Now, as we face the uncertainties of this life, there's one truth that uh, we can count on, and that is that God is still on his throne. And when we face the uncertainties of this life, we can hold to that truth that God is alive and that he's on his throne. 
When things around us are spinning out of control, it's reassuring to know that God has the future in his hands. The passage that we're going to look at this morning is found in Philippians chapter 4. There the Apostle Paul tells us what we need to do in order to find uh, our strength and our hope in, uh, in a God who is supreme, a God who is sovereign, who is on his throne. And we're going to read it first of all, and then we'll, we'll take it apart and look at each point. Now, all of my points are in those verses. Just a couple, there are four verses. They're all there. We could just read them and uh, say, that's the sermon. And I could go and sit down. But you know, I'm a preacher, and you know that I'm not going to do that. So uh, we're going to read it first of all, and then we'll, we'll look at each section of this verse. <laughs> Philippians chapter 4, verses 4 to 7. Rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God that transcends all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Now, the first thing he said, now, first of all, Paul gives us what we might call a decision. We have to make a decision first, and then in the end, he will tell us, uh, or will show us the consequences that we will experience if we make that decision. And the first part of that decision is this, and we find that in in verse 4, rejoice in the Lord. We can rejoice in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. He says rejoice in the Lord always, and if you don't catch it the first time, he says I'll say it again. Rejoice. As Paul wrote to this this letter uh, to the Philippian church, he was in prison, in a Roman prison. And uh, he was totally convinced that God was in control of his situation. We see that, especially in the first chapter uh, of this letter. Uh, he, uh, in, in verses 12 and 13 of chapter 1, uh, if you want to turn there, and I think it's up here, but uh, uh, we'll read it. It says, now I want you to know, brothers. Now remember, he, he's writing this from a Roman prison. He's in chains. Uh, he has soldiers on each side of him. And uh, he's writing these words. We would probably, uh, you know, looking at it from the natural point of view, we we could see why Paul could 
have uh, felt sorry for himself and said, I'm suffering here and uh, I don't know what's happening to me and so on, but uh, we, we, we find that he realizes and recognizes the fact that God has his situation under control. And uh, so look at what he says. Now, I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. As a result, it has become clear throughout the whole palace guard and to everyone else that I am in chains for Christ. Now, if you will go over to chapter 4 and verse 22... Uh, you'll see that he, as he closes his letter, he says this, all the saints or the believers send you greetings, especially those who belong to Caesar's household. In other words, his testimony, uh, his courage for the Lord had even reached people in Caesar's household, in the emperor's household. Uh, People had come to know the Lord through his witness there in the prison. So Paul, as he writes these words, he recognizes the fact that uh, God has his situation under control and that God is using his situation for his glory and honor. He goes on to say, because of my chains, most of the brothers in the Lord have been encouraged to speak the word of God more courageously and fearlessly. As they saw the courage of Paul there in the prison, they were encouraged to uh, preach more boldly uh, the, the gospel of Jesus Christ. And then he goes on, it is true that some preach Christ out of envy and rivalry, but others out of goodwill. It appears that some were saying, well, now Paul's out of the way. He's enjoyed the limelight up until this moment. And so now maybe we'll have a chance to be recognized. And so Paul says, uh, it's true that some, some preach that way. But he goes on, he says, the latter do so in love, knowing that I am here for the defense of the gospel. The former preach Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, supposing that they can stir up trouble for me while I am in chains. Uh, but what does it matter, he says? Uh, The important thing is that in every way, whether from false motives or true, Christ is preached. And because of this, I rejoice, yes, and I will continue to rejoice. You see, he could could speak this way because he knew God had his situation under control. That God was still on his throne that God was alive and well and worthy of all praise. It was this knowledge that God had everything under control that enabled Paul to rejoice while in prison under the threat of death 
And here in this passage, he encourages us to rejoice in the Lord also. Now, sometimes it's hard to rejoice, isn't it? Don't you find it? There are situations that come in life that make it hard to rejoice in the Lord. You have more bills than you have money. The report from the doctor wasn't very good. Or your marriage isn't what it should be. Or your kids may be in rebellion. Or your job stinks. And maybe your boss stinks also. But uh, does God really, my question is this, does God really expect us to put on our happy face in the midst of all our troubles? Well, the, the truth is, happiness has nothing to do with today's passage. There's a big difference between earthly happiness and spiritual joy. Happiness is when things happen to turn out the way you want them to turn out, and therefore you feel happy. You got that pay raise you wanted, or whatever. Uh, but joy, the joy that we're talking about, is when things don't turn out the way you wanted. You didn't get the raise or whatever, but you still have joy in your heart because you joy or rejoice in the Lord, your Savior. Now, Paul did not enjoy good living conditions when he wrote these words. Four times in chapter 1 alone, he mentions the fact that he's in chains and most certainly a condemned man in the eyes of the Roman authorities. He, he's, in other words, he's on death row. And, but because of his faith in Jesus, because of his faith in the Lord, even though he was in prison, Paul speaks of joy or rejoicing again and again. I think some nine times in this letter, he, he, re, he mentions or speaks the word joy or rejoicing. Uh, this spiritual joy doesn't mean that you will never feel uh, or you will never be disappointed or that you will never suffer grief uh, from serving the Lord. Uh, there's a great expression of this truth found in a little book in the Old Testament. It's called Habakkuk. Now, can you ever imagine calling your kid Habakkuk? But uh, that was his name. Uh, he was a prophet of God. And uh, he didn't understand what, was God, what God was doing. He didn't understand why God let all the trouble go on in his country. And then when God told him what he was going to do about that trouble... He was, he was more troubled than, than ever because he, didn't, he couldn't understand why God would do it that way. Why don't you do it my way, Lord? Well, uh, God, uh, when he recognized that God was in control of the situation, he wrote these words. 
and it's found in Habakkuk chapter 3, verses 17 and 18. He said, though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive tree, or the olive crop, crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior. Now, I, uh, I spoke on this in our a church in Snohomish about 90 years ago. People forgot all about it. I asked them if they remembered. No, they didn't remember. But uh, I found a, a paraphrase of that word, of that uh, uh, scripture uh, that kind of puts it up to our date. And it says, uh, though the Social Security Fund becomes depleted, Though the stock market crashes, though my insurance company goes bankrupt, and my IRA account vaporizes, and I lose all my savings, though I, have, I lose my job or my business fails, I will rejoice because of the Lord. I will be joyful in God my Savior." So no matter what God, uh, what our life hands us, we can find real joy in our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. Nehemiah told the people in Nehemiah 8.10, the joy of the Lord is your strength. In other words, it's what keeps us going. That joy that the Lord gives us, it's what keeps us going in spite of, of the circumstances. So how can we feel secure in life when the future seems so uncertain? We find real joy in the person of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. And the second thing, we reflect on his presence in our life. Uh, the, verse 5 says, Let your gentleness be evident to all, the Lord is near. Now, I know that that, that uh, expression, that kind of seems uh, out of place or parenthetical uh, at the end of verse 5, the Lord is near. Uh, I know it probably is speaking of the coming of the Lord. You see, Jesus told his disciples that he would return to this earth. And so they expected him to come any time. But it also it can remind us of the fact that, that God is near us all, that he is accessible, that he is available, that he is by our side, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. The closer we move to him, the better we are to cope with whatever comes our way. James 4, uh, verse 8 says, Come near to God, and he will come near to you. And there's no better illustration of this than in the life of Paul himself. Before he was taken as a prisoner to Rome, he was 
arrested in Jerusalem and placed in a dungeon. And uh, I'm sure that he undoubtedly felt alone. He felt abandoned. But uh, in Acts chapter 23, verse 11, uh, 11, we read these words. The following night, the Lord stood near Paul and said, now I underline that, that those three words, the Lord stood near uh, and said, take courage as you have testified about me in Jerusalem, so you must also testify in Rome. The Lord stood near him in that hour of darkness. Now, the great pretty British uh, preacher Spurgeon, C.H. Spurgeon, uh, who, who uh, ministered in the 1800s, and uh, uh, now I, I have to tell my grandkids that I was not born in the 1800s. <laughs> they may think that, but uh, that is not true. Uh, but Spurgeon, he, he wrote this. He, he was uh, commenting on this passage of how the Lord stood near Paul uh, that night. It says, he said, uh, if all else forsook him, Jesus was company enough. If all despised him, Jesus' smile was patronage, patronage enough. It is, uh, if the good cause seemed in danger, in the presence of his master, victory was sure. The Lord who has stood for him at the cross now stood by him in prison. It was a dungeon, but the Lord was there. It was dark, but the glory of the Lord lit up with heaven's, lit it up with heaven's own splendor. Then he goes on to say, I would rather be in a jail or in a storm, or in a hardship with Jesus than anywhere else without him. Better yet, I would rather be in a nice, happy place with Jesus. That is good too, he said. And then he goes on, but the thing is, he is with us wherever we go. That is what the Lord has, was saying to Paul Paul, you're not alone. I'm here. I'm with you. Uh, he is with us in the good times, and he's with us in the bad times. Uh, as we face life with all its challenges and changes and whatever, we need to be reminded that the Lord is near to us all. So how can we feel uh, secure in life when with all of its uncertainties, we rejoice in the person of our Lord. And second, we reflect on his presence in our life. And third, we rely on his provision. Look at verse 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, Present your request to God. Now, uh, according to people that provide the U version uh, app, 
that uh, many of us use on our, our phones or tablets or whatever. Uh, Philippians 4, 6 is the most Googled, the most searched, the most binged or whatever you use, or the, the most highlighted verse in the entire Bible here in the U.S. In other countries, it's different verses. But here in the U.S., it's the most sought-out verse in the whole Bible. Philippians 4, 6. Do not be anxious about anything, but in everything. Now, I like that word, everything. Everything. That means that there is nothing too small or too big to bring to God. Now, we might think, why bother God with the small, insignificant details of our life? The other day, we were going with some friends. It was raining. We were going to a restaurant. And they found a spot right in front of the restaurant. And they said, thank you, Jesus, for helping us find a good parking place right in front. Now, uh, I got to thinking about that. Is God really concerned that I find a good park, parking spot right in front of the place where I'm going? Now, I know what would happen if I asked that. God would say, Glenn, now, uh, over the holidays, you gained a little weight. And so I'm going to find you a good parking space a mile away so that you can get some exercise going to the, the restaurant. Well, does God, is God really concerned in, in helping me find my keys or my cell phone or, you know, those small insignificant things? Now, the answer I, I can give in a question is there anything too small or that seems small to the one that created a gazillion galaxies, that uh, created, a, a, I don't know what the number might be, of stars in the universe and knows each one of them by name? Is there anything that seems small to him? I think everything seems small to him. And so that's why Paul says, bring everything. Bring everything to the Lord. Uh, is he really concerned about the, the, the little things? Well, no, everything is little. Um, God told Jeremiah, now, um, the, the, when, when Paul says, bring everything that means that there is nothing either too small or too large to bring to the Lord. God told Jeremiah in Jeremiah 32, 27, I am the Lord, the God of all mankind. Is anything too hard for me? Uh, when Abraham, you remember Abraham was told that uh, he was going to have a child. He and Sarah were going to have a child, and Sarah was, or Abraham was 99 years old at that time. His wife was well past childbearing age, and so Paul, or Abraham, questioned 
the fact that he was going to have a child the next, uh, the next year. And the heavenly messenger said to him, and we find this in Genesis 18, 14, is anything too hard for the Lord? I will return to you at the appointed time next year, and Sarah will have a son. And that's exactly what happened. But is there anything too hard for the Lord? And that's why Paul says, don't be anxious about anything, but bring everything everything to the Lord. First uh, Peter 5 says, uh, 5, 7 says, cast all, all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. So the bottom line is this. If it's on your mind, it's on God's heart. So bring it to Jesus in prayer. So when we rejoice in the sovereignty of our Lord, when we recognize that he is present every day of our lives, and when we take our anxieties and our needs to him, then we can suffer the consequences. <laughs> Not suffer the consequences, but Paul says we can rest in the peace of the Lord. Uh, verse 7, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Regardless of what the storm is that comes to your life, you can have the deep peace that passes all understanding because God is in control. God is on the throne. He is in charge, and he will be exalted. Isaiah 26, verse 3 says, You keep him in perfect peace, whose mind is stayed on you, because he trusts in you. When we trust the Lord with our requests, when we affirm his control, and we have confidence that that he will handle the situation according to his plan, then uh, he will handle it. Uh, you see, peace comes as a result, according to that verse, uh, from our trust in the Lord. When we trust him with all our hearts, uh, with our anxieties, with our cares, with our needs, then the Holy Spirit comes and fills us with a peace that causes the onlooking world to just scratch their heads in unbelief. God's peace is like no other. A person cannot explain how it happens, but it does happen. When God gives you peace, you can be in the most painful situation, yet somehow you know that God has your situation under control. Now, notice that this peace is not a peace from God. It's the peace of God that is promised. Our Father gives us the very peace, His peace. Uh, our text says, and the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Jesus told His disciples uh, before He left this earth, he said, my peace, or a peace 
I leave with you. My peace I give you. My peace I give you. I do not give to you as the world gives. So do not let your hearts be troubled and do not be afraid. Now, this peace, however, doesn't come from what we are or who we are, uh, but from what God has done, uh, how he has justified us in response to our faith. You see, we cannot know the peace of God unless we have peace with God. Uh, and Colossians 1, 19 and 20 says this, for God was pleased to have all his fullness dwell in him, speaking of Christ, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether things on earth or things in heaven, by making peace, how? By making peace through his blood shed on the cross. 700 years plus before, the prophet Isaiah uh, wrote this in Isaiah 53, verse 5. But he was pierced for our transgression. He was crushed for our iniquities. The punishment that brought us peace, the punishment that brought us peace it was upon him, and by his wounds we are healed. Uh, the only way that we can experience the peace of God that passes all human understanding is through the blood of the Lord Jesus Christ, the blood that he shed on the cross. You cannot have the peace of God until you have, first of all, peace with God. And you can't make peace with God. It is God, by the blood of his Son, that has offered to make peace with you. And if you have not accepted that, that offer from God, don't delay, because you'll never know that real peace, the peace that comes from God, the peace of God, unless you have peace with him. So, in conclusion, and everyone said amen, <laughs> as we face the uncertainties of the future, as we face the uncertainties that this life brings to us, the one truth we can count on is that God is still on his throne, amen. that he is in control, of our situation. So how can you feel secure in life when the future seems so uncertain? First of all, we rejoice in the person of our Lord. When we have a personal relationship uh, with the Lord Jesus Christ, we can know real and lasting joy. We find our joy in him. The joy of the Lord is our strength. Second, we acknowledge his presence in our lives. We can be assured that he is by our side no matter what life may bring us in the future. We can take everything to him, 
our anxieties, our worries, our needs, whether small or, or large, knowing that he truly cares for each of us. And last of all, then, we can rest in the promise that when we turn from anxiety to prayer and thanksgiving, God will give us his peace, a peace that passes all understanding. And we thank you, Lord Jesus, for this peace that you give us. And I just pray, O oh God, this morning that you will make this word real in each of our hearts. Help us, Lord, to, uh, to live by your word and to live by your promises. We just thank you for this congregation. And we pray for your guidance in uh, seeking a new pastor. Uh, this is a time of uncertainty, but we know that you have this situation in your hand, that you are in control, that you are on the throne. And because of that, we give you thanks and praise. And we ask this in Jesus' name.